we are just winging it. One week late to all of you fannies waiting out there. Winglets waiting. Hi, Patrick Green. Hi, John Abdullah. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited. We, we have a guest coming on who we wanted to have on like three years ago and then two years ago. And then, and then we were finally like, oh, that's right. We have guests on again now. So that's like, you know, have him on today. But before it we introduce us, him. Yeah. Took us a little time to get it scheduled. So, you know, it'll be worth the wait, though. It will be worth the wait. Yeah. Both uh, the wait in terms of, uh, well, actually, Gold. no, I, I have to say the my favorite slogan ever mm-hmm. is for a donut company on Block Island called Payne's Fresh Donuts. Pick them up. Uh, and their their slogan is worth the wait, but spelled like you know pounds, like weight. And uh, I just feel like it's just it's just it's perfect. Because also because you can't get to there you know much of the year because it's like a seasonal thing, and it's only and it's set called for pains, pains, pains donuts. Yeah, but it's P A Y N E apostrophe S because nothing is as it seems on Block Island. That's what I'm trying to get to. You like don't Max know what Payne. you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, you have to have it spelled out for you. It's a great game, by the way. Anyway, it is, yeah. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. You know, I yesterday or maybe it was two days ago we went out to eat. Which was a big deal. You we did. went out. We uh, we went all in on the consumerist U.S. you know citizen thing and and went to like a shopping area, and just like bought stuff, which honestly felt good. I also feel guilty about just you know that, but but we did it with the kids. Um, I'm I'm nearly two weeks out for my second dose. The, you know, and obviously everybody's masked and stuff, but um, we didn't just like run around naked, you know, across the plaza or whatever. Under normal um, circumstances, that was the plan. Under, I know you've had right. to change your lifestyle quite a Maybe bit. Maybe next year, yeah. yeah. So, but we, but anyway, we went out to eat um, outside. You know, it was heated and like it was just, it just felt great to do something that was like a little normal during this time of year. Which actually, I should say, it's not even normal because now there's like all this outdoor eating that never even happened before, um, which I hope is here to stay. Um, but that felt really good. So I'm, I'm just, you know, overall, I'm feeling really optimistic about the spring and just like being outside more and having some normalcy. How about you? How are you doing? Similarly, I'm feeling uh, like things are strangely feeling more <clears throat> normal again. I got my second shot last week. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty uneventful. Just kind of, you know, took a day off. And yeah. How did it affect bit. you? We, we didn't catch up. I meant to reach out like a good friend and I never did. No, you didn't. I uh, I was near death. No, it was, it was fine. I, 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 I was in bed for, you know, most of the next day, but it was mm-hmm. just it was kind of planned that way. Um, I got a weird fever spike like the second night for some reason that oh, interesting. Then cleared itself up and then I was totally fine. Um, but it was uh, yeah, like uh, on a scale of one to ten, it was like a two. It was it was. Oh, like, wow. Just oh, I was easy. much worse than that. Really, um, I, I was pretty knocked out. Yeah, because I had it just the week prior to you, and mm-hmm. and and like there's this feeling, right? You of dread because you know. I mean, obviously, I'm opt- I, I'm happy that to get my second dose, but also there's so many people around me who are like, I never get sick, and I was devastated. Yeah, they tease it up so I know, right? right? They were yeah. like, you know, just don't even get out of bed. You know, you, you'll be lucky if you survive. And uh, so I was prepared, and it was a day where I didn't have to do much work. Um, and, and at first I'm like, you know, you feel kind of charged after you get the vaccine and you're like, right. I want to be fine. Right. And then the arm starts to hurt and then, you starts know, starts with the arm. Right. And that night I just had a fever. The thing I wasn't expecting is getting like dizzy the next day, like yeah. nauseous feeling and just, just generally bad. Um, but you know, it was like a day and a half for me and then I'm back to being, you know, a superhero now. 
That's true. Your 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 starting baseline is superhero. Okay, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. It was worse than a two out of ten. <laughs> but I said that knowing we have this huge audience all around the world, you know, and and wanting to like you know convince people it's not that bad. Oh Listen, shit, yeah. No, you're I right. Guess I should it, be it actually, smarter. It was like a six out of ten. It, it was not. It was not a pleasurable couple of days. But it could have been a lot worse. And by a lot worse, I mean, we could have all died of COVID Listen, by this point. Listen, if you're so, you listening know. to this right now and you haven't already gotten a vaccine or you're signed up for one, just stop listening to this. Like, just stop right now. Well, well no, wait, wait until I'm finished, I guess, saying this and then stop. Yeah, they're not going to know what you're saying. <laughs> that, that worked out badly. <laughs> Sign yourself up. I mean, honestly, you could probably in any state now just like walk into a fucking CVS and get one. It's very easy right now. Um, and if you're not going to get it, then just stop listening to the show forever because, you know, you're, you're not being a good citizen. I'm sorry. That's true. You're not allowed um, anymore. You're not allowed to listen to this we're, show. We're a, we're a vaccine friendly <laughs> show. You know, we're uh, going to get a new stamp. You know, you have to be vaccinated to listen to this, um, show from now on. Yeah. We should talk to Apple about that. But if you have, have listen, that. if you have a medical, a genuine legitimate medical reason, which I'm not aware of any that exist right now, but if you do. And you can't get it. That's fine. That's an we'll exception. accept a, a notarized letter explaining that. But if you're you on the fence, or yeah, if you're not, just fucking get it, please. Because the idea that we won't hit herd immunity in this country is really uh, a downer right now. It's bumming me out. So for me, please go get a vaccine. Do it for John. But I gotta say, in in Connecticut, uh, our current vaccination rate is seventy percent of eligible adults have received their first shot, which is leading the nation. Thank you very much. And That's it's good. Pretty freaking awesome. But I, I mean, say. nationwide, I've heard that it's thirty percent that are like reluctant to get one. So we like my my concern is that we only get to about seventy yeah. total, you know, which is going to be uh, bad. But anyway, that is pretty bad. I have I have a quick little funny <laughs> vaccination story to share with you. Yes, please go go with something funny now, and then we'll so, bring Ash on. Yes, good, good. So. Uh, as as you know, uh, Micah has been for the last few months now working at a vaccination site. She's sort of like a supervisor because uh-huh. she's a, a shite. So she does like you know the final check. You know she go, goes through things with people before they leave. She does like the fifteen minute observation stuff. Oh yeah yeah um, yeah. And as part of that, she has to ask you know a series of questions. And she's working in primarily a Spanish speaking part of of New Haven. It's this, the city where she's working. Okay. Uh, and so, and you know, we speak some Spanish in our household. Not great, but we both used to be like AP Spanish students. We used to be pretty serious about it. So you know, it's a nice opportunity to kind of flex the language muscles oh, yeah. and try to get back into it. And, and great to show the kids. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, and so so she's been really excited to do that with patients. And she's been doing a great job. She speaks you know Spanish with them pretty fluently at this point. Um, but one of the questions that she has to ask about is about, you know, allergies, right? Mm. And if somebody responds that they do have allergies, she has to check if they have an EpiPen. And so and <laughs> she sort of was improvising, you know, a couple of months ago on this. And she was, and she was like asking if they had uh, a lapis emergencia. Uh, and, and they would go like, she, she, you know, kind of looking at her like, okay. And she, and so she, it's like over and over and over again every day. She's like, lapis emergencia, lapis oh emergencia. And nobody ever says anything. And then finally, like three days ago, somebody was like, that means a pencil. That's an emergency <laughs> pencil. <laughs> you understand that? It's a pluma, a pluma emergencia. And she was like, oh my God, I've been saying, do you have an emergency pencil to hundreds of people for the last two months? And nobody called her out on it. I'm like, I I, mean, did nobody say anything? In her defense, you never know when you're going to need a pencil urgently you know to do a math equation or something that you you know you can pen is too you don't commit with a pen like that right. especially if it's spontaneous problem. you know you don't know if it's a final product yet and ash exactly. who's a writer on our show today yeah. who we're just going to keep teasing until he comes on probably knows all about that right you go through drafts of something i think so ash, ash i imagine walks around with a pencil in his ear you know the classic like writer move yeah. um, so, so, so that's a good intro to ash i think right the fellow writer on our team 
We've been excited for this for a while. Ash, we work with Ash at Oxfam. Um, he's a writer, and uh, well, there's a lot we we can and I hope we'll get into with Ash. But you know, for starters, the fact that Ash um, brought his uh, beautiful baby girl into the world just as the pandemic started, like literally, it's true. is, it's true. is All certainly true. yeah. So, <laughs> Ash, it's great to have you on the show. Um, Thank you. How are you doing today? Honor. I'm doing all right. I got to say, I was telling someone last week, I feel like all of a sudden I feel like I have a pep in my step. Um, And I don't know if it's just, you know, summer on the horizon, if it's just being outside on a beautiful day with my daughter. But um, I feel like I'm just feeling good. And and as someone who sometimes struggles with anxiety, having a pep in my step feels good. That's a good thing. Yeah. Do, great do you also carry a pencil in your ear? Just to clear to that up. To be honest, half the time, I seriously cannot find a pen or a pencil on my desk. So, I mean, I'm seriously always going over to my wife. I'm like, do you have a pen? Do you have a pencil? Because <laughs> I, I just find myself without one, and it's it's ridiculous. And you never, you can't scratch it into paper with your fingernails, right? I mean, oh, no. to be fair, you have a phone probably on you most times. I do so a phone and a laptop, but honestly, like, and I will write with, in anything. So like a pink pen, I will write in pink pen. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I will just anything. If I can find it, I will use it. I think you need an emergency pencil, my friend. I think you should consider that, you know. We I miss all... the sharpener, though. I do miss the sharpener. <laughs> the the I... sharpener, yeah. The school sharpener. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the, having... the school sharpener having a kid now though uh who who has to use them it's just awful really i mean they make all these like fancy ones that catch the i'm just talking about a regular pencil sharpener not a machine you know not a a, not the bolted onto the wall one that's not an ai charge that's what what ash is talking about because those fucking things i gotta say as somebody who bought one as an adult you know we i'm a composer so we have pencils and sharpeners like all over the house Uh, um i have to say the best brand is coom which is spelled similar to the english word come so this is an explicit show i'm apologizing for that right now it's a german sharpener company they make great products but i wanted to get like the experience of the thing that ash is talking about like that old school like ironclad you know (laughs) manual thing so i found that you can buy them for home use you know yeah, or cum pencil sharpeners. It, yep. And it's mm-hmm. stud in our closet. Yeah, cum, cum pencil sharpeners. And, uh, and I have to say, not only was it horrible, I mean, it, it was like, it like ripped the wall apart when I was using it. I, I, to be fair, I sharpen very aggressively. I, I, I get into it. But like the knuckle abrasion is a legitimate. Oh, Do you remember that when in school? Like, you know, maybe huh. I don't know how to use a pencil sharpener. No, I don't, I maybe this right. could be me. You should yeah, really sharp. invest in a, an AI powered uh, electric pencil sharpener. It'll, it gets it. It customizes it to your needs, you know, your personal tastes. Because sometimes, you know, there's like that fine balance, right? You don't want it to be too sharp because then it just fucking breaks as soon as you... I'm Like, I actually... I, I remember now the the vast difference between pencils now that Grace has these, like, party favor ones. Mm. Have you used these before where you just you sharpen it no. and you go to use it and it just it just gets destroyed? Obliterates, it yeah. It doesn't work at all. But anyway, no one's listening for to hear about pencils or anything else that we have this to This is share. pencil talk. Uh, this is pencil talk. Um, so, Ash, I mean, you know, I, I said it briefly in that intro, but I mean, I'd love yeah. to hear about, you know, thinking back now, it's been it's been over a year. Um, mm-hmm. And your daughter, she Marie, turned uh, one in March, right? March 11th, yeah. Um, so, I mean, where do we even begin, my friend? Like, what, what's this been like for you? Oh, man, what, what it's been like. Um, I'd say it started, it started real rough, um, you know, just that first month. I mean, we were in the hospital the day the pandemic was declared. So you could imagine, like, we've got the TV on, CNN is reporting, right? There's this pandemic. And, you know, we're, we're facing into just 
the world changing in a couple really fundamental different ways, right? The world that's around us in that moment and the world that we, in a matter of days, are going to kind of go back into um, just under very different circumstances. So um, it's been, um, God, it's really, it's really kind of hard to put into words. Um, it's been a journey. Uh, it's been a lot of learning as you go. Um, we've had, we've been incredibly privileged to sort of go from kind of being trapped in an apartment in a city and being afraid to leave to um, moving into uh, my wife's late grandmother's home mm -hmm. about an hour outside of the city and just experiencing that relief that comes from being able to walk outside and feel like a little more room, a little more space to actually just experience and feel and, um, and be a little bit calmer. And so it's really been a little bit all over the place. I think just an intense period of fear, uncertainty, anxiety, um, and then kind of a little bit of relief in, in experiencing the being outside in the new place and just enjoying that. And then, um, but just right now, like I kid you not, I was Friday, Friday I was with my daughter. I, every Friday I take off from work and I, I work, I'm with her. And I went down to downtown Rockport, I, you know, took her um, in the car with the stroller and I, there's a new spot there and I got a, call a Nate sandwich. What I love about a Nate sandwich is it has avocado, bacon, cheese. And I was sitting there on the bench with Mari and I was just enjoying the sandwich and this coffee. Um, the weather was incredible. And like I said, it was like for the first time in a long time where I just felt like things were a little bit better. Um, and I had just this excitement about what's to come. And that, that excitement has been hard to tap into over mm. this year and a half. Not so much that I'm not experiencing these moments of excitement with Mari, but just the, the environment in which we're doing it was so, you know, in some ways um, constrained in ways that we just weren't ready for. Absolutely. You know, I, as somebody who has almost the same birthday, minus the 10th, uh, I have to say there was a weird feeling of celebrating, you know, a, my birth, which is, you know, something I love to do. A big deal. <laughs> but, uh, and then like doing that as the WHO is declaring a global health emergency, right? Yeah. So, so I believe that was the 11th. So your daughter was born on the day that everything day really, off. yeah, truly changed. And yeah. what I, I'm wondering about, I also want to make sure I want to bookmark, I want to talk about leave because I think you did a really uh, cool job utilizing parental leave, Ash. I want to mm. make sure we get around to that. But yeah. uh, before we do, so there's this moment in the, you know, immediate aftermath of having a child where everything is so surreal, just under normal circumstances, right? And I remember this feeling of almost like 28 days later, oh like God. emerging from the hospital. I was thinking this like, exact thing as he was talking. <laughs> 28 days later, mentally, I'm like, I got to bring up 28 days later, but keep going. Me I too. Just as soon that. as you were saying that, I saw Killian Murphy on the bridge and over the River <laughs> Thames. And I was like, this is because because it was already like that for me, leaving the hospital yes. both times. And I walk out, yep. I'm like, whoa. Like, first off, I'm like, everything is dangerous now. <laughs> I don't think I realize how dangerous everything is. Yeah. But also... You know, this feeling of of something approximating an actual unique experience, right? Like, mm -hmm. like as as humans, there are very few times where we are like basically the only people we can see around us living through something in that moment. And like, yeah. when you've just had a child and you're bringing that child into the world, when you go outside, like nobody else is doing that actively, right? right. So it's already surreal. So what I'm wondering is, 
those early days, you know, you have built on top of that surreality, this, you know, this completely changing world. What was that like? Was it hard to get help? Was it hard? What was it like being in the hospital even just yeah. um, the day as this was happening, as it was changing? I mean, I, the, the signals of what was happening kind of outside, like started to like reach us, like within a day of Mari being born. So like, just to kind of give you a, sim a sample, like, you know, my grand, um, basically like in-laws, like my my wife's uh, mother, wife's fam dad was able to come. They like, after the first day got a letter that says you have to leave. Wow. Whoa. So like, you start to start, you get that signal, right? Um, on like the day before, maybe the, the morning of, we got a notice that the first case of COVID was in the OB unit. Oh, wow. And so you could just like, and, and like my wife had a C-section. So like we needed more time and, but it was just like, whoa, like things are changing here. And there were like actually people at the hospital who like wanted to wear a mask, but there was no like protocol to wear a mask yet. So like people had to ask us if we were okay with someone wearing a mask, like the people who were coming to check in on us. So the, and then there was the TV, the CNN stuff, which for some reason we actually couldn't turn off easily. Like, cause we wanted oh, to no. know. <laughs> so, we were getting, it was all of the things. It was the sleepless nights. It was like, I had like had a slip disc the month before. So I was trying to swaddle and change the diaper while in pain. And like, so some of us were like, we were like, do we want to leave? Like, but we kind of need to rest if we can, but all these signals of like, whatever is going on, you need to make a choice. And then like all these like small things we thought would help us on the once we got out, like the meal train, like there was amazing people at Oxfam that were like, we want to do a meal train. I had to be like, we're going to put on pause on that for now. Yeah. The COVID meal train. <laughs> yeah. COVID meal train didn't yeah. really resonate <laughs> as deeply as it had when it was first offered. Um, so the thing is we end up, you know, I would sort of take my, my in-laws back and forth while, when they were still with us. But I think the experience of like when we actually left, and we got to the house and then we'd look outside our window and there'd be no one outside. Just burning buildings everywhere. Just, I mean, and so <laughs> it was, it, the, some of it was like, yes, there was like a clear sense of like moving from the hospital to our place. But once we got there, we just had this deep sense that we shouldn't leave unless mm -hmm. it was like, and here's the thing. The funny thing about it is that we had like, our freezer was packed full of stuff, but we didn't have anything in our pantry. Like we didn't know it was going to be a <laughs> the pandemic. <laughs> Who the so, hell like, did? No. So like, I mean, we, we were caught flat footed. And honestly, that first month was really, was not good. It was not good because there was a deep sense that we needed to move urgently to make sure that Maya had what she needed. Mari had what she needed. But like, I did not have the bandwidth gentlemen, like to be honest, just trying to manage my own emotional sense of like what I could do physically, what I need to be there for Maya. Like I, it was not a good match in terms of like, we were not hitting each other's expectations and it was just such an intense emotional state. Um, so we, we, we struggled. Oof. I, I just hearing you talk, I mean, as I said, it really was 28 days later, the first thing that popped in my brain too, because I, I still have, you know, I can still feel the emotions of leaving a hospital um, with a newborn. And as Patrick described the intensity of that moment and surreal, um, you know, feeling that, suddenly the world has changed. And, and for you, you've got layered on top of that. The world has changed <laughs> amidst yeah. all of that. So carrying all of those emotions at once, um, I, can, I can't even, I, I mean, I can barely imagine the intensity of that. And I'm, I'm just so um, glad that we're able to talk to you on the other side of it. And uh, what a journey this has been for you. I mean, yeah. and what a story, I suppose, you'll have 
<laughs> for all of this later when she grows up and and you know she she was born in this light in this once in a lifetime not even once in a lifetime i mean it's been multiple lifetimes since we've seen an event like this exactly did you have any supply chain issues early on? Because you're, you're, it's this is weirdly bringing me back pretty acutely to that particular Wednesday and Thursday, and we were we were as I mentioned on the show in Canada leaving and trying to make sure we could get back into the United States, and I had to ask my parents if they could drop off some groceries because we were hearing yeah. that like you couldn't get into stores anymore and that like all of these supply chains were disrupted and that nobody had toilet, the toilet paper thing was already happening. Right. So yes. when you're, Diapers? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much to buy when you have a new kid, right? Like wh what yeah. was that like? So we, I mean, so toilet paper for sure. Like there was that issue. Um, and I would say, I remember within a few days, like I went to the grocery store for the first time and had that experience of like, for the first time being afraid to be in the grocery store, mm, just cause yeah. not knowing what was going on. So, but honestly, like between being able to do that, like, like just getting most of what we needed. And then honestly, the kindness of neighbors, like our landlord who lived in the back of the house, like brought us food every once in a while. Like there were just people who showed up for us and that helped us in those moments. So, but honestly, like I didn't, we didn't really have many supply chain issues. Um, it was more just that, that sense of, okay, hold on. Some like someone needs to leave now. What precautions are you taking? What do you do when you come back? Like, yeah. I'm just like, I'm not, I was never great at the height. Like I would wash my hands. I do basic things. But like in that first month, it was so important when we didn't really know much to sort of can maybe be a little overcautious. Right. And just like being able to like, just all the surface, all the stuff about like surfaces, you need to clean the surfaces, you need to clean the mail, all this stuff. Like we were just trying to do all of it at the same time and hope that it was working. Maya just hosed you down with uh, bleach every time you came back home. <laughs> I think she want. I mean, if she had had the option, yeah, I think so. <laughs> that might have happened. So then, yeah, I, I, Patrick was right to, you know, call out uh, something, another topic we should cover here, and it sort of yeah. transitions nicely, I think, which is the leave that you took, right? I mean, because oh there's the intensity of those first few weeks that we we, we can relate to. I mean, not necessarily yes. going through a pandemic as well, but then there's the extended period of managing, um, you know, two working adults managing time off and raising a newborn. And so how, what was that experience for you? What did, what was your uh, solution to time off there? I mean, parental leave was, um, was incredible. I gotta say, I mean, those 12 weeks, what was, what I was so happy because, you know, I took four weeks at the beginning, right. With when, when Mario was born and it was really just triage. It was just getting through those first four weeks. But, and I knew on the back end I was going to have this really special time. And I think at that point, like I was still like, I had, I think there was still the possibility that we didn't know how long this would be. So the thought was maybe come August. Right. She was born in March. Come August, things would be better. Like, the do you remember like, those days where oh we were like, oh, it's just two more weeks Tonight? and we're going to get this? <laughs> yep. <laughs> just two more weeks. Like, of course, like, no, we're not even close. Not even yeah. close. Um, but I had eight, you know, eight weeks. And I think, John, I actually remember texting you the day I left for that second tranche of parental leave just because I think I kind of wanted to market um, with people I cared about, people that like knew that I was going out on this leave. And I think I, and it was just, it was that immediate rush of like, oh my God, one, this is, I've never taken off this much time from like work, like just informal employment. Right. Um, and just being able to be outside at that point, we were still in the city. Like I was trolling Mari, like we took a really nice walk and I'm like, this is going to be awesome. This is just going to be eight weeks of being with my daughter. We're just going to do everything. And then, you know, as time goes by, you read those, the length of the days, like the thing that I really 
really appreciated was just like those 10 hours, right? I'm with Mari, primary caretaker. Um, huge piece of this for me, I had some like kind of takeaways like of the experience, just I just came to so appreciate being outside. Like mm. that, that was just such a beautiful thing for us to share together. And it's something that she just now incredibly loves, just calms her. Um, the time outside um, just actually, I mean, half of it, I was just trying to get her to sleep. So that was, that's, that was half of it. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's getting her to like see the ocean or a creek or, you know, wildlife. We have wild turkeys out here. Like there's just like a lot to stimulate, which is fun. We have this cohort of 12 wild turkeys and they kind of move from house to house in the area. And have you tagged them all? Oh, my, God. oh my gosh. It's amazing. Friday night, sometimes they show up and I kid you not, at one point there was at least 20 of them. And yeah. I'm like, there's got to be alcohol at this thing because there is just a whole bunch of turkeys just hanging out. No, I can um, relate. It's the same. My neighborhood. I mean, <laughs> you have a more positive outlook on them at this point. I, I um, don't well, have the John's friendliest Well, in John's neck of the woods, they break into houses. They fly through windows. Oh, they they harass cars. Yeah, something, something over there. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Something in the water they're drinking or something. Yeah. We, yesterday, the past two days, we've had a deer in my yard. And that, you know, we're in a city, like we're not in a super um, yeah. remote area. And every time it happens, it's happened maybe twice before over the last like six years that we've been here. It's just magical having a deer, just looking up and all of a oh. sudden out your window, there's a deer that's just like walking around. It, it's like otherworldly. I don't know. I, maybe well, I just- Well, when they make eye contact, that's fucking scary. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm the only one. When I'm watching a deer and then oh. that deer just like looks me in the eye all of a sudden, I always get the sense that like, intense. it's like the they devil They see through or you. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what, do you want and a bargain? Ear, like, what is this? And their ears doing that shaking thing. Yeah, they do that fucking ear like, thing. Oh, man. Yeah. They're I feel that way when I see a fox. Every once in a while, I'll see a fox out here. Yes. Yeah. Just, I mean, I just an animal that just kind of awes me. Totally yeah. agree. Coyote, coyotes are those for me because I've had a few like close encounters with coyotes in my life, and, and all, they have all been like <laughs> Please really. Please tell like, me, seriously, were, were they stuck with me. Surrounded by them, you had to crawl up a tree or something. They worshipped me as their leader. Actually, they they, <laughs> they circled me and and I and I sent them out to do my bidding. No, I, I they, when I was a kid, when I, we used to have like roving packs of coyotes when I was a kid, which makes it sound like I lived oh. on the frontier somewhere, but I lived by a beach. It wasn't they actually like this, raised you, know, you, I believe. <laughs> they the, did the first two years of your life. Yeah, but I used to see them when I would do like cub scouting, um, and and I was. I was always struck by how comfortable they were just you know in my proximity because i'd be in the woods you know doing shit um and the and coyotes would walk by and, and they would be completely comfortable but just a couple years ago i had one i might have brought it up on the show where uh i was going to the train and a coyote was just out and it walked with me and accompanied me to the train on this like 10 minute walk oh, and and your bodyguard like, it was crazy i was like i have a fucking coyote pet right now do you think do you think maybe that it's my that pheromones was, or something? You know, maybe that was someone you know who uh, this was their second life, and you knew them in a past one. Do you think? If you know, there's something that feels a little bit like that. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. There's something in, in like foxes, mm. coyotes, deer, yeah. animals that don't vocalize at you very much and are not domesticated and are clearly wild, but have a relationship with humans. There's something weird and liminal about that. You know, like yes. it's sort of like even with, with raccoons, oh, like yeah. there's something because like they they or, or pigeons, right? Like they've adapted the to especially yeah. Yeah, you've extended this. This started with like coyotes and deer, and now you're into like raccoons and fucking pigeons. bugs. And it might be a little far. Yeah, 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 a little far. But there's something weird because like these are animals who have adapted by virtue of us being there, and they've actually learned to coexist with us. And so they, un- they, so when they look at us, they see us. You know, they don't see this weird, faceless, bald mammal. They see humans, and they know what we represent to them. You know, in some like instinctive way at this point. 
And there's something that's powerful about that. But I'll, I'll give you a quick little animal story while we're on this for some reason. So I thought uh, you just finished one, but go on. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm just getting started. So do you remember how uh, last year, John, there was an unexploded, like an undetonated uh, mole trap on our property? Yes, Do you remember this? Course. And I was asking you for help. I was like, I don't know what to do about it. And I ended up just throwing it in the air down the driveway and like <laughs> watching it detonate. Um, it wasn't for a mole. It was what for a, a groundhog. And that oh. groundhog is not only alive and well, he's the size of a fucking crocodile. He's oh, the biggest no. groundhog. Is he destroying I, your yard? No, he's not though. That's what that's what's so weird about it. It's he's I think he's eating our fruit, but I don't think he's messing the yard itself up. That's so anyway, good. so so I'm downstairs taking a shit, you know, as I do. As you and I'm looking are. out of our window and and I just see this like it looks like a capybara. Like it is this it's probably about three feet tall and it's on its hind legs and this huge fat ass is just kind of sitting there and he's just like looking out, clearly like in over the land that he owns that I didn't realize also we owned. He just looks like, very comfortable. And I'm looking online, I'm like, what animal is this? Because I've seen groundhogs before, you know, I've seen Bill Murray, and I, I know what this shit looks like. <laughs> um, but this thing was just it was honestly probably a forty pound animal yeah. i've never yeah. seen oh something like gosh. this before i spotted one walking across my yard at one point as well and i was shocked at how large they actually they're are. gigantic right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i send it to our neighbors i'm like do you guys know what this is and and my neighbor john is like uh another john you sent the groundhog like, to your neighbors i did i, I sent mm-hmm. him to do my bidding the coyotes accompanied him he was like oh yeah that's frank I was like, what? He's like, yeah, that's Frank. I've been trying to get that guy for like seven years now. And he just never, he, he keeps setting these have a heart traps to like not kill him, but to trap him. And, yeah. and he just never works. And so now it's this thing where I'm always looking for this groundhog. For Frank. And Luna is like, yeah, Frank the groundhog. Luna has caught wind of, literally caught wind of him. He's Now she knows where he lives. And so she goes and attacks that like part of the yard. Um, and I'm waiting for this weird moment where like, I'm going to watch my dog massacre a 300 pound. I mean, that's probably going to happen animal and i'm gonna have to be like good job because now i feel like attached to frank too so i yeah what will you do you with frank something? so when uh, that happens which it inevitably will what are you gonna yeah. do what are you gonna do with him if he's I just like just, you've got a carcass a in the in the yard i just don't know <laughs> why are we talking about this though wait what, what happened we were talking about yeah, i mentioned wild turkeys i think oh I, the turkeys I that's right everything. but yeah, i had that's right no i had a follow-up though i wanted <laughs> on a more on a more serious note i was thinking Ash, as you were talking, right, you know, P- Patrick and I are now, you know, years removed from our experience, but we both talked about how great it was to even have like five weeks of paid time mm. off, um, which was a luxury. And, and dads that we talked to are so they, they, they just don't ex- they are they get like a week or two weeks if they're lucky. Now, you just described 12 weeks, you know, which is in line with what a lot of women get as they uh, not all of them, certainly in this country still, but. It's mm-hmm. more in line with the experience of a, of a new mother. And I'm just, you know, I was thinking as you were talking of how few men in our country, like if you really pause and think about this, how few new dads have, have had that experience. I mean, you must be a, of like hundreds of people, dads in this country. I, I don't know what the yeah. number is, but it is so rare. And I think about that and, and it, you know, it saddens me to know that, um, that's time that none of us can get back. We've, we haven't had that experience. And, you know, I think some of what we're trying to do too, even within our own organization is to help new dads get that and advocate for more of it. But just holding that reality that we're still so far from where we need to be in uh, being truly equal, you know, parents to our kids, I think. No, absolutely. I mean, I think I was, I couldn't believe just the timing of it because essentially Oxfam was finalizing that policy. Yeah. Right, like right close to when Mario was born. And there was a, 
I wasn't sure at first if I was going to be able to qualify. And then when I found out that I did, I'm like, holy shit here. Like I am going to be one of the first people to benefit from this 12 week parental policy. And just even understanding kind of how some of our coworkers, like, like what you're describing, you know, how important those five weeks are or were, and the fact that I was going to have more than double that. And as, you know, as a new father, I didn't know how much time was enough time. I just knew that more time was better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just had the sense that I'm going to try to make the best of that time. And to be honest, here's the other way I thought about it. I took four weeks on the front end. Imagine if I had just had one additional week. I mean, the fact that I had eight additional weeks at a time when my when Maya was going back to work, I would then be able to kind of extend our period of taking care of her, just the two of us. It just felt really important. It felt really profound. Um, it felt like a marker in the road. Um, mm. And, you know, we're now at a point where we're trying to, you know, and, you know, co- we have colleagues who are trying to sort of, you know, at a confederate, just like at a larger level, expand access to that time. Um, like, tell me where to show up. Like, tell me where to show up where I can tell you how profound it was to have the time I had with Mari that so many people don't have. Um, for me, I needed more time. Mm. I needed more time to figure out what it was like to go from that intense, I'm scared, I'm anxious feeling at the beginning to let me get to know my daughter in a real loving and caring way. Like, let me actually like lean into this in a way where I can, can tap into some, maybe some of those other emotions of just, just being with her and, and soothing her and caring about just in a different context. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like I was, that was very present for me. Mm. And what, can you tell us, you know, what did that do for Maya? Because that's the other part of this, right? The idea of yeah. a longer leave for um, dads, you know, naturally <laughs> has an impact on the moms who otherwise would be alone during that time frame, or maybe it extends sure. it. So tell us a little bit more about how that played out. Well, I'll be honest. Maya was a little worried. <laughs> Maya was worried. Because <laughs> to have I Ash home worried. all that time. Yeah, I, I bet it wasn't that, I wasn't at my best. Um, early on. And I was sort of like, I, it wasn't obvious if I'd be able to like handle it. <laughs> I mean, so Maya and her mom sort of took care of Mari for like the chunk of time that Maya was, Maya was able to save a, a long amount of time. And like at the time, federal government didn't actually have any paid leave. Mm. Like they just instituted in October for the first time, 12 weeks of paid leave at the federal government level. So actually, you know, when she went back, it was just because she had all this time that she'd used. I then come in it actually gave her mom a little bit of time off because basically she went back to where she lives and then I just had her right for those eight weeks. So some of it was just knowing that she could like dive into something she cares about, loves about, like she loves her work. She cares about, she wanted to get in reintegrate into that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think, I think she really appreciated the time that we had just in terms of our relationship. I think she realized how it deepened our bond. And I think that half the time, you know, Maya was probably wondering her head, like, I think she had a feeling that I might be a good dad, but I don't think she necessarily knew. And again, rough, rough first month, (laughs) I gave her a lot of reasons to doubt. Um, And I'll be honest, like sometimes (laughs) at the end of those long days, guys, I mean, I was just not, I was not in a good mood. None of what you're saying is surprising in any way. Yeah, I know. I know. But like, and it's just so, and so some of it was just like figuring out how to, um, how to change my perspective sometimes from, and and it got easier, which is good, which felt really good. And I think at the end of the day, Maya really appreciated that, um, 
there were things I was able to do with Mari by the end of it that I couldn't do before. And that was just mm. the, the exposure, the, um, and the, and the appetite for it. Like before I would be like, Oh, I, I, I don't know if I can do more. You know, I was able to kind of grow into it. And I think I needed every day of those 12 weeks to even get a little bit closer to that idea. What was something that you grew into? Can you give us an example? Um, what did I grow into? I, well, one, I think I was a lot kinder to myself by the mm. end of it. Um, that was a piece of it. Um, I'll tell you one thing. I was the worst, shittiest sort of diaper changer swaddler at the, the beginning. The shittiest. And I, was I love like, that really, word. You were also recently injured, which didn't help too, right? <laughs> right. So I, I got a little bit better at, at those kind of things, just sort of mechanically some of those things. Um, you can just do it blindfolded now, I bet, right? <laughs> I gotta say, one yeah, swaddling is a lot easier. You're a badass um, at it, I bet now. I think I music musically, you know, I, I I I sort of found a way to leverage more of my talents. I think to sort of be with Mari, like she, like I, I love to play guitar. John, you and I talk about it all the time. And at first, it was something that I would play, and she would actually sing along with. Eventually, it would calm her. Then she was like singing along with me too, and like it was just like I feel like I realized there were more tools around me. Right. I sort of was yeah. seeing kind of the environment I was in and being a little bit more creative and just thinking a little bit more about like, okay, be a little bit of a problem solver. Like sometimes I sort of assume there's a quick, there's a quick solution to something. And really, I think I, I think I, I kind of grew in that way. And I think here's the thing, one thing that I still try to work on, but like, I have a lot of shame around struggle and that I can't tolerate struggling. I feel like I figured out a way to lean a little bit more into what it's like to sort of, as I'm kind of, negotiating this new love and relationship with Mari, um, be a little bit kinder to myself as I struggle and give mm. myself a little bit more time to figure out what to do. That is a beautiful um, outcome of that time. And again, I'm just thinking of all the men out there who, you know, maybe only had a week or two and how, um, what I'm hearing from you and I, I experienced even in having five weeks, which again is more than average these days for dads in the U S um, is is uh, an ability to to struggle and build confidence in working through something because you have time to do it. Yeah. And when you don't have that, um, I, f I can't help but think that, you know, I think we all go through that struggle of like, what am I doing? Can I actually do this? Can I be a good parent? And if you don't have time to properly work through that, it's so easy to just like skip it and say, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at changing <laughs> a diaper. I'm not good at, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And you carry that with you because you don't have adequate time because who the hell, once you're back to work, has the time to like spend hours of, of struggle to work through it. You're, you're in a much different mode where you're just like always on and, and very time crunched. Getting it done. Um, and it's just, yeah. I, you know, we're going to look back at this time period and the way that we now look back at dads who, you know, weren't present for the, the birth, right? They're out smoking a cigar or whatever in the waiting room um, who, who weren't with their kids, you know, for their first several years of life as much, maybe just after work kind of thing. Um, we're going to look back in the same way at this moment and think, why the hell didn't parents have months off, you know? I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, But I'm so and, glad and, that you've had like, that. Yeah. And why did society by default just assume that women needed you know, so much more time with young kids than men did, you know, like it, it, it is, it is crazy. And, and having those five weeks that, that I felt very lucky to have was, it was exactly what you're both saying, which was time to iterate and time to like fail at things and time to figure it out and time to emerge feeling like I actually could do those things. Right. Not just from a skill level, but that I could like think my way through with the kids and like figure out how to be a better parent. Right. 
Um, and I think with a lot of women and girls, like they're they're raised with the expectation that they will be the ones providing the unpaid care work, right, mm-hmm. from, from childhood. And so toys obviously are geared toward that, right? Like there's a million toys that teach girls how to change diapers because the baby, mm-hmm. you know, dolls wetting itself. And there's a million toys about how to, you know, use a fake kitchen to prepare food. And they're all very much targeted, obviously, at young girls. And, and as young boys, like I never got exposed to any of that. It was always just like what the girls were doing. And, and I was the one, you know, on the playground while the girls were the ones doing the kitchen work and all the domestic stuff which is super fucked up when you look back at it but like you know whatever i was four or five i don't really understand gender (laughs) dynamics at that age um and so uh, for a lot of men we don't have any actual hands-on experience with the practicalities of those things until we are you know forced to by having children and then if we have the ability to take time to figure it out you know, we realize like, oh, that's right. We can do this stuff too. Like, I don't have to always use the excuse of like, oh, my wife handles the dishes or my wife handles the kid. You know, I can actually be like an equal participant in that and and really enjoy it and help my wife learn how to do things that I figured out too, as a result of having the time to explore it, you know? Yeah. And that's something that, yeah. I think, yeah, just the duration of that time gave me a mental framework that I then sort of took outside of that parental lifetime. And it was just a lot easier to sort of see where, where that, where that shared work is. Mm. Right. And then it stays for the rest of your lives because you go through it with your partner, you know, like you, you, you realize that like we're in this as a real team from the very beginning and it's not as delineated as we were, you know, raised to think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really, really, really healthy, I think. And then, of course, the kids see it from the beginning, too. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about, too. And I, I, it's important to acknowledge, you know, I mean, so my mother-in-law has been I live with my mother-in-law with my and um, we've been this pod. We've been this pod of three. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible team effort. Um, and we're all trying to do what we can for each other, for Mari. And, um, and I think it's really important because I think in the midst of even me doing sort of my, you know, actual time on parental leave, you know, I mean, Maya and Maya's mom were still very, very present, you know, when it came to on weekends, you know, at, at night, all of those things, it just, it takes such a team effort. And the fact that I was able to, to be there is really, really important. Mm. Totally. I mean, it, it, you know, this was another thing I didn't even mention in our multi-part episode series on on the book Hunt Gather Parent um, that looked at you know sort of ancient cultures and how they do parenting. But one of the lessons there that I also was struck by is just how how different kids are raised in our culture versus others, and and how much more of a community effort it is in other cultures. Um, to the point where they would think it's just mental that a a child would only be raised by one or two parents. You know, the idea that that would even um happen is is crazy like we don't we we don't think of it that way often in this in this country it's just like expected that you you know you're responsible for your kids and like other people may have some role passing through or whatever but it's very different other places and and so i imagine you know that's been i I can imagine that would be a huge support obviously um to be able to have even just one more person so that you know you're not what you can tap out basically right because that's the thing that I mentally, <laughs> the ability right. to tap out and tap Physically somebody else mentally, in. Yes. It's important. Yes. Oh, it's absolutely critical. And I, there's no way we would be where we are today without, without that additional support. And it makes, it just makes so much sense. And that's something that I've had to sort of uh, learn how to do more of is asking for help. Cause that's mm. something I kind of went into the experience not being oh, as uh, comfortable with. And that's something that I've struggled with. It's sometimes acknowledging where I have those limitations, what I need help and guidance on. And, you know, sometimes it can be difficult sort of with extended family, right? Asking for that help, but not asking for that help is actually <laughs> not, not the great way to go. 
it's 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 understanding the balance. I think the balance matters, especially as you're trying to develop your own relationships. Right. But no, I mean, I mean, Mari is so much better. We're all better because we have that support. And I just, I mean, you're talking about a system that fails women. I mean, to me, there's a system that's really failing families. And I feel like to what to the degree that which men have more of this opportunity um, is just absolutely critical. Well, you know, we're, we're having this conversation amidst uh, a moment in our country of, you know, potentially transformative change when it comes yes. to child care policy. Care. Yeah, um, care and, yeah, and, it, you know, it's exciting to just get this uh, window into your experience and see what things could be like. You know, it'll be too late for us um, to experience fully, but, you know, maybe for our kids um, by then, you know, I imagine, I hope that we will have a much different uh, world where it's just, you know, society as a whole um, I think recognizes, and this, you know, it has actually been a nonpartisan so far issue. Um, the idea that, you know, we support uh, parents and, and young children in ways that uh, right now we're just, we're not, we're not pulling it off uh, as a so-called developed society. So, uh, you know, I hope it'll continue to go in this direction. Yeah. And I think part of the, of the episode that we're living through is going to inform that, you know, mm, just absolutely. by virtue of the fact that so many more of us are at home with kids more frequently. So many of us are having to adapt to helping teach things at home. So many of us are having to adapt to working from home. And a lot of those people are, are men who, you know, maybe would not have otherwise had that opportunity. Like the simple fact that I get to be here every single day watching the no. kids grow up and not feeling like I'm just so limited in the amount of, like I used to bemoan that on every episode of the show, right? Like I would get off the train and it would be so late that I have coyotes walking with me, you know, and I would be like, uh, <laughs> you know, like you. I have, yep. I have an hour and a half of time with the kids now. And that's, that's like it now, like I, it's it's just it feels so much more boundless. It feels so much more uh, free, and and that I think is giving a lot of people a taste of like, oh, that's right, this this is a good idea to have more flexibility and support for families to do this, and that like we can still be as productive, but we can also, you know, like when you look at our priorities, and not just in the United States, but around the world, like what we pay teachers, you know, what we subsidize in terms of you know pre K we do a really shit job of signaling to kids that they are worth spending time and money on, mm -hmm. right? Outside of just consumerist things, it. right? Yeah. And I think a lot of us are realizing now that, that this is not a partisan issue, like you said, John. This is something that we all, like, everybody knows that kids need attention and time to grow properly and to feel supported. And that that can come from a whole village, like Ash is saying. It doesn't have to come from, from just the mom, who then is, of course, in her own career that gets stunted and things, you know, and it sets up all these other dynamics. Um, and I, I really think that we're on the cusp of real change in this regard. And it's very exciting to be living through that. Indeed. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. I appreciate you coming on, Ash. And I hope that yeah, we'll be of able course. to check hey, in thank again. Thank you all so much. It's been so much fun. Yeah, let's have you on again. This has been great, my friend. Love that. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye.